All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay. Well, let's begin uh, with a word of prayer. God, thank you for a beautiful morning, another opportunity to worship you corporately, to learn from your word, to seek wisdom. Tell us in your word that you'll give us wisdom if we ask for it. And so here we are. And we pray that you would fill our minds with truth and goodness and the beauty of your word. And we would, particularly as we think about confrontation and forgiveness, that uh, you'd give us soft hearts and humble minds to accept these things. So be with us in a special way over the next couple of moments. In the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen. All right, so I want to back up just very briefly. If you'll recall, uh, we talked, we spent a good amount of time talking about resolving conflict when sin is not the primary issue, or you know, it's not some egregious sin. Maybe sin is there, but that's not what caused the problem. It could be a difference of this. I was made to feel a certain way, and I suggested kind of a three-tiered solution, uh, just in terms of framing that. You know, when you did X, I felt this way because of this way, or it made me this. Um, and there was some discussion about, well, are we, are we, are we kind of um, nitpicking the definition of feeling here? Because I was saying, well, being frustrated isn't a feeling. I was trying to stay away from the really nuanced language, but I'm just going to go ahead and fall on the sword here. I'm trying to draw a distinction between, in the, especially like in the counseling literature and such, between feelings and emotions. Emotions, okay? A feeling is such a broad word that we can apply it to, I feel like my team's going to win, I feel tired, I feel frustrated, I feel shame. Feeling just refers to almost any kind of state of mind you could possibly be in. Uh, and while you might want to communicate that, I'm challenging people to name the emotion, not just some kind of psychological state of mind of this or that. What emotion is under that? And, and, they, and, uh, and the question came up, why do that? Why, like why, why necessarily do that? For two reasons. Number one, it makes you more human to someone. Um, it makes you more human to someone where you're able to talk about your emotions. Um, and and, it, and I, I think especially for men, you hear us like talk about your emotions, like <laughs> your emotions, like what are you? Um, but that's really sad because it's not like men are, Men might have a different, live on a different part of the emotional spectrum, um, and a lot of them, but a lot of them don't. I mean, men experience a wide, wide range of emotions just like women do. Um, and so I think sometimes people are discouraged from just even saying, naming any kind of emotion because they're afraid it's going to be like embarrassing or something. You're not going to be a macho man or something like that. Folks, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Okay? It's ridiculous. Um, so you become human to someone where you can say, yeah, I mean, I was, I was angry. When you said that, I was just sad. It just made me sad. It hurt. Hurt my feelings. It made me sad. Like people don't, especially men, don't want to say that stuff. I'm just telling you right now. Right? But it will make you human to someone and allow them to empathize. But here's the other reason that you want to be able to do it. When you turn these things over in your head and you say, okay, why, 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 and you peel the onion, you're trying to get down to the, the, um, what emotion is present, those emotions drive your behavior way more than you want to admit. Low-grade frustration can turn into low-grade bitterness and low-grade irritation really quickly. Um, you can have sh you can have really you can have shame that wasn't like some egregious shame you experienced, but it was a micro shame. 
someone kind of micro shamed you in a social setting and it's just like you, you, and, and all of a sudden you don't know why you're kind of feeling a little bit this way or you're short with someone like oh, okay if we peel that onion enough you felt shame in that moment didn't you you felt micro shamed in that moment so so I, I want you to be able to diagnose your own soul and if you can say you're if you're someone who is not used to ever thinking about your emotions um which is not something, by the way, just to be honest, is, it doesn't come naturally to me. I've had to work very hard. I've been like, okay, what, what, do I, what do I feel? I feel like slamming someone's head through a window. Okay, well, that's not a feel. It's like, okay, why is that? Why do I feel this way? Well, because I want this. Okay, well, I didn't get that. Okay, but why do I? Okay, because I want things my way, for example. I want control, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm irritated, and I'm angry because things aren't going my way. And the laws of my kingdom are being broken. So all of a sudden, I can name my anger, but I'm like, well, why? Okay, it allows you to diagnose your own soul. So you become human. It allow it will allow you to diagnose your own soul because I promise some of those emotions um, drive your behaviors way more than you realize. Okay, a lot of people, oh, I'm just cold, rational. No, you're not. I promise it's not the case. Even for the most stoical, Spock-like person in this room, uh, there are emotions that drive your behavior. It's just whether or not you're really aware of them. Okay. I promise. And when I say drive, I don't mean determine. I just mean that play a, a meaningful role, a meaningful role. Okay? Any questions about that? Any questions about that? And let me just say one more thing. When you when you phrase it as, when you did this or said this, it, it came across like this, or it made me feel this way, if you want a soft transition into feeling language or something, I mean, you don't have to use, necessarily use those words. Um, it does give an opportunity for someone to say, no, 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 you misunderstood me. So it is kind of like asking for forgiveness, right? You are putting something in someone else's court when you say, hey, when you did this, it, um, it made me feel this way because it seemed like you were trying to kind of shame me in front of a bunch of other people. Is that, talk to me about that. Is that a proper perspective? And you might have an opportunity for someone to say, no, that's not what I was doing at all. In fact, you misheard what I said. Oh, wow, thanks for the clarification. So instead of charging in there, right, and accusing someone of something, you have an opportunity to actually have a conversation. Okay. All right. So we moved on to the surgical model of confrontation. We talked about how a surgeon never cuts blindly. They, they, there's a lot of prep that goes into surgery, as I understand it, uh, having never done a surgery. But I understand a lot of preparation goes into surgery. You have a lot of training. You have a lot of hygiene processes. And they scrub their arms like up to their armpits. I mean, I've seen people prepare and they put the gloves in and the room is prepared. There's a lot of thoughtful preparation. And so I'm trying to use that as an analogy for coming alongside people in, a, in some kind of confrontation. So the first is, have I prayed for wisdom and acknowledged my need for God to help me as I prepare to move forward with the confrontation? Or am I just going to try to do this on my own winsomeness or something? You know, Is there any acknowledgement on like, I want to do something that, I want to do this in a way that requires the Spirit. That's how I want to do this. I don't want to just grit this out, coach somebody up, lay down the wood, whatever it is. All right, I want, I want to do something that is dependent on God for. Have I prayed for that? Is this the right time and context for surgery? I think this is the point we left off on. So maybe someone comes home from work, your spouse, you want to confront them on something or have a discussion. They come home just absolutely exhausted. They have a terrible day. Like, hey, just the right time to talk about, to bring this thing up. Perhaps not. What if you're out with you're out with your family on the weekend at the doing this, that, or the other, and it's like, okay, here it is in the middle of the Tennessee Renaissance Festival, my opportunity to tell my husband that 
when you do this, it makes me, it's like, okay, perhaps not the best context. How is somebody exhausted? Uh, did something just happen where they don't have the ears to hear you? Would someone else be a better mouthpiece? We'll talk about that in a second. But is it the right time and context for this confrontation, for this surgery? Have I observed a, a serious offense or a standing pattern sufficient to warrant an incision? Okay. Um, we, I had back problems. I, I still do have back problems. Huh, I had them. That's so funny. I, I have them, but I also had them when I was in high school. And uh, you go to some doctors, they just want to cut on you. Oh, let's schedule the surgery. Schedule the surgery. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe I can see a chiropractor first. Like, well, like a deep tissue massage before we get the blade out. Um, are you someone who jumps to surgery at the first sign of somebody's sin? Are you someone who jumps into, all right, it is my duty to step in correct for the glory of God. Here is my scalpel in hand. I promise I'll wield it gently, but you got to get cut. Hey, faithful are the wounds of the friend. And I'm a good friend, so here we go. Right, is that your MO or, 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 or do you reserve, do you have some discernment about when such things should be done? And um, certainly, if it's, if certainly in the case of a serious offense or something that might not seem as serious, but uh, is a longstanding pattern, uh, you, you, then, then you may, that may warrant an incision. But are you, are you surgery happy? Some people just think it's their job to always be performing spiritual surgery on people because faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's like their life verse or something, okay? Um, but do you have some discernment? Can you overlook things in love? Um, can you attack things from different angles? Can you ask questions that help clarify instead of going in there um, for surgery? Again, though, if it is a serious offense or if it's a long-standing pattern that you have observed, likely, very, very likely warrants an incision. But you need to prayerfully consider that. Am I content to address one area of concern even if I'm aware of multiple? So a couple of years ago, more maybe even more than that now, I don't know. I had my appendix taken out. And uh, as I understand it, they did it uh, laparoscopically. And so they go into little holes uh, in my stomach or whatever the case is. And they put some gas in my stomach and they blow it up real big. And they put a huge bright light in there and it looks ridiculously bright and the doctor can see everything and they were trying to explain it to me. I was like, it sounds awesome, but I can't even, yeah. but, but imagine if they went in there like to fix my, uh, to take out, I guess they didn't fix it technically, but to remove my appendix and like, you know what? I think your, your liver needs some tweaking too. You know what? Actually your stomach, it could be situated a little bit better. You know what? In fact, your heart, you know what? We actually need to go in and, and, and so all of a sudden, uh, Maybe they're aware of multiple areas of need, but if but as a a, a doctor was telling, in fact, a doctor said, uh, who was actually in our congregation for a while, said when people used to come into the ER for trauma, we used to fix everything that was wrong with them. She said people were dying faster because when you go try to heal all the trauma you have to cause in some sense more trauma as well to 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 get to, to heal initially right so they're performing you know five surgeries on somebody instead of letting that collarbone stay broken for a while and then fixing that and so fixing so on um what if i what if i um this is this is this is what i call batch troubleshooting batch confrontation you know what while i'm confronting you on this 
Let me throw in a couple other things that are stuck in my crawl. This is a great opportunity to just really get everything on the table. And so it started out as a dispute about going to McDonald's. And all of a sudden, now you're talking about, you know, you feeling not valued in your relationship. How did we get here? Well, how we got here is because someone said, okay, here's something that happened. And now uh, this is an area of concern. But I also have these other ones in the background. And I'm going to bring them all to this moment so we can just be the most efficient as possible. And that never works well. It never works well for two reasons. Number one, a lot of times, depending on the person, they're going to be totally overwhelmed. This is wrong and this is wrong and I got a problem with this and I got a problem with this. And it's just like, <laughs> but also you get distracted and you don't ever even fix, you don't even get to work towards any of them. Okay? It's like we chase this rabbit, then we chase this rabbit, then we chase this rabbit. Not helpful. Um, can I address one area of concern, even if I'm aware that there are probably a lot of things, multiple, hopefully not a lot, but multiple things that could be addressed in this person's life? Can I step in and address one, give some time, perhaps I'll address another one, okay? Am I committed to making an incision no larger than necessary? So imagine instead of the tiny little laparoscopic, they just took out a thing, cut open my stomach, there it is. And they pulled out that appendix, had this huge scar, like, well, I got it done. It was efficient, right? I mean, it worked. Who cares if there's, you know, who cares? The answer is the person getting operated on cares. That's the answer. This is where you this is where thinking wisely and being and developing your ability with words and understanding circumstance is really, really important. Because some people what I just call kind of the, the say it like it is crowd and just let all the cards fall where they fall. They just don't care. They go in like a bowl in a china shop in someone's heart. I don't care. I'm going to spit the truth. If they don't like it, they can, we can call the wham boo boo lance. All right. And um, the problem with that is it ends up being insensitive. You don't end up being gentle. You don't try to understand. Um, you just go in there again, like someone who's boxing, deliver your blow and then leave. It's totally non-relational. It's someone who's just a verbal assaulter, honestly. Okay, and so are you prepared to, to make an, if I could say something some way and that would devastate somebody and I can communicate the same truth, but in a way that will not so devastate them, why would I not do the second one? Why would I not do uh, the second one? I don't want to devastate people past confrontation and being corrected and such is hard enough. I don't know anyone who really is like, I just love being rebuked. It's like my favorite thing being corrected. It's like, no, people pointing out my sin is something I just really love. It's probably, probably, uh, probably not the case. And so when you're, when you are pointing that out, uh, in addition to all of these other things, are we committed to using language and tone and the kind of examples that we use that are, that are that make an incision no longer, no larger than necessary to really get at what we're doing. Okay. Am I humbly prepared to offer an observation as opposed to an assumption or conclusion? You know, it seems to me um, that uh, for, I, I've been watching, you know, just interact. I, in fact, I had to talk with someone about this the other day. Not the other day. I, that would be, you know, it wasn't the other day, but it was at least in the past two years. Um, and it was about some of their eating and drinking habits. And I said, uh, man, as I've just observed, um, you eat and drink way too many potato chips and soft drinks. This is not healthy. It's not sustainable. It just isn't. Um, and I want to. Are you aware of that? Um, and what are you? What are your thoughts? And you know what they said? You're exactly right. 
I do do that. So talk to me about that. It ended up that it was the case, but it wasn't because that person was just a glutton. Um, it was because they were using that to cope with some problems. And so instead of saying, hey, could you just be a little bit more disciplined? Goodness gracious, can't you see that number on the scale going up? That's a way to really take a blunt instrument and hit hard, right? Instead, hey, I've noticed this. I offer an observation. Have you noticed this? I mean, are we on the same page here? What, do you, what are your thoughts? And, and, and this guy said, yeah, that's exactly, you're exactly right. And I do these things to cope with these things. And there we peeled the onion a couple layers, and it ended up being a fruit, a symptom of a much deeper problem. Um, but, but he was very, very thankful that someone pointed it out. And frankly, that's an awkward thing to point out to someone, I would say, in many cases. But because it was done, at least in that case, I, I think, lovingly, gently, and through questions as opposed to coming in with the hammer, it was really well received, and that person made some really positive changes as a result. And, and they still are, as it turns out. They still have made those changes. Um, finally, is my goal in spiritual surgery restorative love and truth or personal preference? When I go in and confront someone, am I really coaching them up just to kind of live next to me like I like them to live next to me? Or is there an actual problem? You aren't doing things how I want you to do them. You aren't saying that. The, the problem is you're not, you're not living according to the rules of my kingdom. Well, the problem is you're not, you're not accommodating every single desire of my heart. Well, the problem is, you know, um, it would, I would just really like it if you, you know, acted this way instead of this way. Just make my life easier. And, I, you know, can you just shape up? Um, are you make, so do you draw a distinction between something that points out error or points out foolishness in love versus I want you to behave a little bit better around me just because I like this version of you better? Now, uh, I'm not saying that in very in, in very secure, candid conversations if, with, with your spouse or your friends or whatever, you can't have those kind of conversations. I'm just saying that's different than a confrontation. Okay, that conversation with your spouse is like there's some yeah that that is a much different conversation. It's not a confrontation conversation. It's like you know you do some things that just get on my nerves, and guess what? I know I do some things that get on your nerves as well. I know I do things. For example, I know I do some things that get on my wife's nerves. We have different levels of uh, uh, threshold for how organized or dirty uh, organized the house can be. Different levels, okay? You have one person who really needs things nice and tidy. The other person doesn't care as much. Guess what you're going to have? You're going to have conflict. Not because of sin, necessarily, but you're going to just have tension. <clears throat> Why isn't the trash getting taken out? And I always say, well, honey, because we haven't given it the two stomp. <laughs> Okay, and I push it down. Look, we got half a trash can left. There was like styrofoam and a plastic bag on top. That doesn't mean it's full. No, but it'll smell. So you know what you have to do? You have to you have to you have to sit here and go. Okay, am I insisting on my own personal preference? I could say, well, she's insisting on her personal preference here, right? She just likes she doesn't she doesn't want an efficiently packed bag in the trash can. But I'm also insisting on my preference at the same time. I like to maximize trash allotment in there and minimize my trips outside to take it out. So which one gets to win in that situation? Who gets to win? Well, that's what I'm saying. This is not, this isn't a kind of correction. I don't go to my wife and correct her over something like that. Okay, she has never come to me and correct. I have pleaded with her 
to be more liberal about the trash allotment and the trash can. She has pleaded with me to take the trash out more. And you know what? She deals with a little bit more trash in there, and I take the trash out a little bit more often to accommodate that. That's what it looks like in real life. Okay? I'm, 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 I think, I mean, the other day, I, I, I promise you, the other day I said, I could totally get away with one more push down. As I looked down at the trash, I said, if I just hold the, the little, if I hold it, because if you know, you, you got to execute this move correctly, right? Because if you don't, <laughs> the bag comes out, you know, like goes down in there. So you got to, and uh, this is good for one more stomp down. But instead of that, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to take the trash out. I'm, I don't want to be, I'm not going to just cave to laziness because I don't want to go outside. All right. Um, okay, so the difference between my personal preference and then confronting someone over something wrong that has happened, okay? All right, surgical model here. Um, so let's talk here. We got these points up here. What is some of the most, let's just talk about this model, all right? What are some of the most difficult aspects, would you say, the most challenging aspects in practice about the surgical model here? Before I give some final thoughts, what do you think? Yeah, what are just some of the most, diff when you look at this list, when you look at this model of doing confrontation, what do you think are the most challenging ones to do well? One, one thing is knowing how, how precise to be. A lot, a lot of times some of the things that we'll see are um, patterns. Right. So am I going to go after this one little example? Yeah. Or am I going to go deeper and go towards the, the root? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and of course, if you, if you go all the way to the ultimate route with sin, yeah, at some point, you know, can't get rid of all that at once, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, and then part of that ends up being, I mean, I think if you see a pattern, if you see a pattern that either um, causes tension between you and, and children, spouse, friend, whatever, or maybe the pattern isn't necessarily sinful, but it's something that just rubs you the wrong way. Um, or you see, uh, or, or something that is explicitly sinful, those are things that I would address. Those are things that I would address. If something is, if there is something that continues to be uh, an issue that keeps me from wanting to even be around somebody and they don't know it, um, or it's something that I see maybe it's just done once, but it's a more serious offense, those would be things that I would put to the top of the list of wanting to say something about. And then making judgment calls and using wisdom in some of the other cases. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Michael. For someone that's a teenager in the right-line context and all sorts of serious things and patterns, you might go, oh, there's no right-line context. Yeah, okay, okay. Sure, yeah, good. Yeah, this isn't that big of a deal. No, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, no, this isn't sin. This is just difference of, I, I do everything to justify not saying something. Yeah, good. What else? I like the fact that we, the first thing we have up there, that, that checks the mode for the rest. Yes, ma'am, it certainly does. Have I prayed for wisdom and knowledge my need for God? Yeah, it kind of frames the rest of how it falls out, doesn't it? Yeah, well said. What else? Yeah, Janetta. Uh, 
Uh, right, right, right. While we're at it here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Yeah, I used to be very bad at that myself, and probably sometimes I'm, I'm still bad at it. But I think I've improved. You can ask my wife, but I'm pretty certain I've made huge progress here. But it used to be, it's like, well, listen, if we're going to ruin one night, let's just ruin it all the way. All right? It's like how I studied for tests in college. <laughs> my friends are like, I'll study 30 minutes this night and Thursday. No, I'm not wasting my 30 minutes. It's like, I'll, I'm going to ruin one evening. So it's like, well, we got to ruin it talking about this. It's going to be a difficult, why don't we just go ahead and get all, just really sink this thing. Uh, not a good way to do it. Very unwise. Uh, but there's something cathartic. And again, like you can tell, I'm someone who likes to be brutally efficient. I'm someone who gets it done. That can be great. It can be not great because people aren't machines. Relationships and, and sanctification is not uh, uh, an algorithm. Uh, and I'm not a, I, I say that I'm not a math person, but I am a what do you need to do to move the needle in this area? And then I'll hear about your story and all the rest of it. And not, that's not always a very good approach I've learned. OK, so a ba so batch. Yeah, the batch confrontation, the batch confrontation. Good. All right, anything else on the on the surgical model? Yeah, Steve. Yeah. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that agitation or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, so we have to move past just fixing some annoyance, some frustration, whatever, and have a disposition of yeah, restorative love in the relationship and not only troubleshooting or, you know, whatever, something like that. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Noah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that one of is that one of is that one of your more effective tools? The mother would be ashamed of you comment. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it may be that it's kind of a, the, the way it was framed there is like, okay, here's my opportunity. How do I come in? It could be, okay, first I start with that really soft 
comment. I see that nothing's really changing. Maybe I have a second conversation where, man, you really knocked you really knock that off because of X, Y, and Z. And I, you know, what do you think about this? I always, always, always like to put questions. I always want someone to give me an opportunity or give them an opportunity to tell me that I've misunderstood, that I've been mistaken. Then maybe you ramp it up to the your mom would be ashamed thing, okay? Uh, because sometimes what people's fear of God will not do, fear of mom and grandma will. I've learned that, okay? Um, but that's not probably not very sustainable. But yeah, so anyways, it might be a stepped process uh, where you say, you know, I've mentioned this a couple times. So you even have a little bit of a platform behind you when you when you speak a little bit more candidly to that person. All right, anything else? All right, well, if you, if you have any more comments about that, uh, please, or questions or comments, uh, please, uh, love to talk with you afterwards about that. Let me wrap up with some final thoughts here, okay? Uh, to, to Michael's point, we must not let our desires for our own comfort and social harmony trump our obligation to gently restore and confront in love, okay? There are many times I'm ashamed to confess where I've done, I've done just that. It's just not worth it. Just not worth it. And so I'm just going to, I would rather just enjoy this night, this day, this meeting, this event, this whatever, uh, because I don't want to do this right now. And so uh, certainly there's time to enjoy things and have social harmony, but you can't use that as an excuse for doing what you should do, for doing what you should do, okay? This is a really, really critical one right here. Faithful, gentle efforts at restoration don't always result in tear-free conversations where everyone leaves happy. It is simply a myth that if you approach somebody well, that they will not leave devastated, upset, or angry. That happens all the time. And what they will say and you have probably had this said to you at some point in your life. Well, if you, if you had said it better, if you had come at me differently, I wouldn't have responded the way that I did. The truth is, there are some things that the, no matter how you package it, you could put as much bubble wrap as you want on it. When you point out things that are personal and deep, people are going to get upset. So just count on it. Just count on it. Uh, I wouldn't even, there are people where I've been, I've been so gentle to them, but nevertheless having to point something out and I've been called just by pointing that out. Now, is there some, is there, let me just have a caveat here. Is there a possibility that I was self-deceived and I was being these things? Yes. But in many cases, even according to people who were there in some of these instances, that wasn't the case. Oh, that was so rude. I can't believe that you would say that. It was just rude. Just judgmental is what it was. It was judgmental to say something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, you know, if he had been a little bit more gentle about it or something. And so I'm, I'm, I'm putting in here to say because I've seen a lot of people who walk away. For, they have to have a difficult conversation. I usually go. I, I usually ask them, how did it go? I follow up with a lot of people. Some of you have gotten these, hey, how did this conversation go? And some will say, not well. And I never know what they mean by that. I always ask for clarification because some people think that if they did their part well, this person wouldn't have responded so poorly. That just does not follow. You can have the nicest, most gentle, most winsome rebuke and someone can scream and yell and cry and get very angry. 
So just how someone else responds does not necessarily mean that you did anything wrong. You cannot judge that only by someone's reaction. Does that make sense? Does everyone understand what I'm saying there? Okay, it's very important. Let love and humility dominate your confrontation, okay? Be prepared to accept a conclusion that isn't fully satisfying to you. Um, be prepared to have gotten something wrong and let someone say, you know what, I think you're off here. And again, you're going to put yourself in a lot better position to, to be corrected if you're asking questions instead of coming with the accusations, right? If you're asking questions, you're allowing someone an opportunity to clarify. Giving accusations, either you're right or wrong, and you might just get called on the carpet for not knowing what you're talking about. Questions? Okay, any final thoughts on uh, the, well, these, any final thoughts on the final thoughts? Because now we're going to switch topics almost completely and go to the nature of forgiveness. Any thoughts on the surgery model, confrontation, when sin is the issue, when it's not the issue? Anything else? Okay, well, let's move on to the very difficult topic of forgiveness. So what, if some of you could tell me a one-sentence definition of forgiveness, what is it? So, um, everyone knows what forgiveness is at one level. If I say the word forgiveness, everyone knows what I'm talking about. And yet, if you push someone for a succinct, accurate definition, it is very difficult exactly to say what it is. Although I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to suggest one, but I didn't I certainly didn't come up with mine uh, in the time that I just gave you either. So it wasn't very fair. I was making a rhetorical point here. Uh, uh, it, it is challenging, uh, but we want to understand what the nature of forgiveness is because why, why? For two reasons. Number one, if we don't understand the nature of forgiveness, how do we go about forgiving properly? But number two, what if we were mistaking other things for forgiveness and saying things like, I need to forgive myself or um, I haven't forgiven them yet, even though I, for, but I, I said that I forgave them, so that means I've forgiven them, right? Well, maybe not. What if I'm mistaking certain things for forgiveness? Or if I don't know how to go about forgiveness, how am I going to really offer that to somebody? So getting clear on just kind of what it is in general from a biblical perspective is really important. Because there's a lot of things that kind of feel maybe close to it that, aren't for, that really are not forgiveness at all. Okay, so let's talk about, so I have a couple of entry points here. I'm going to put these up here, and I'm just going to briefly talk through them. Is that, is that font different than the last page? Can y'all read that? Yeah? Okay. So that third point is the only one that I'm going to talk about here. Um, so reconciliation as a whole, actually, I lied. Let's talk about that. Reconciliation, which is what we're after, between is a two-party, you know, uh, or maybe multiple, but multiple-party endeavor where there is giving and receiving of genuine forgiveness. So we're going to call transacted forgiveness. We'll get there. Sometimes you don't have that. Sometimes the best you can do is not transacted forgiveness. Okay, because that takes two people. That takes you asking for forgiveness and someone providing you that forgiveness. Or that takes someone asking you for forgiveness and you providing them uh, that forgiveness. 
So, but that's what reconciliation is. And though Christians have been forgiven and reconciled to God and therefore should be the quickest to forgive, and we looked at that foundation with the parable of the, uh, the talents, right? Should be the quickest to forgive because your $10,000 talent debt was wiped out. Many Christians struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness. So let me tell you the secret here. If you go around a group of people and have people raise their hands and you tell them to call out their vices or their struggles, you know, I struggle with pride. Oh, of course you do. Well, I struggle with lust. Oh, of course you do. Well, I struggle with sort of anxiety. Well, of course I do. Anger and lack of, and being a bitter person who struggles to forgive always is someone else's problem on the other side of the room. Very, very, very few people will own I'm just a struggle. Oh, you know, I get angry when I get angry when the my kids destroy the house. Oh no! Oh, just like everybody else. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I struggle with being just an angry person. I met a pastor just the other day who was candid enough to admit that. He said, "I'm just an angry man." I don't know. How, I don't know how. Maybe he should take a season away from the ministry. But he was at least honest enough to say that. But how many people do you know? who don't have a problem, and I don't mean that they're okay with it, but naming, oh, I struggle with this, 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 my anxiety, my doubts, my... But very few people comparatively would say, I just struggle with being an angry person. Anxious person, eh, prideful person, eh, angry person. That's someone on the other side. That's just never, never the person you're talking to. Okay? So even though Christians have been forgiven, bitterness... And unforgiveness is all over every church, sadly. Different levels, different degrees. I'm not saying everyone's walking around secretly. That's not what I'm suggesting. But this is, if it was easy, we wouldn't have to, I wouldn't even be teaching on it. If forgiveness just came really easily, was really clear, we wouldn't need a Sunday school class on this, quite frankly. Okay? Oh, good, I got seven. Oh, this is so nice. So let's talk about what forgiveness to start with is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness might lead to feelings. But forgiveness itself is not a feeling. It is not a warm feeling. It is not an internal psychological sensation. Okay? You can have all sorts of psychological sensations, positive or negative, and have forgiven or not forgiven, frankly, depending on the circumstance. So forgiveness might lead to feelings, but in and of itself, at core, is not identical to any... There is no such thing as the feeling of forgiveness. It's not a feeling. Nor is it forgetting. Okay? Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. And whoever said that... I mean, folks, so, that's so silly to expect people to forget. Like, they just have amnesia that it happened. No one really believes that. Forgive and forget. No. You forgive and you move forward. No one, unless you just really have a truly terrible memory. Uh, if, if there's a really, if something actually wrong, you know, you're deeply wrong. You're not going to forget that. No one expects you to forget that, honestly. Meaning just like it, I've literally forgot that it happened. That's silly. What people are trying to say is, uh, I'm going to try not to let it stand in the way of us moving forward or something like that. But, but forgiveness certainly is not forgetting and it's not... Um, it's not excusing. It's not making excuses. 
It's not saying that it's, you know what, it's okay. It's okay, I forgive you. Hold on, wait a second. You know, have you ever heard someone say that? It's okay, I forgive you. He's like, hold on, wait, wait. If it's okay, then why are you offering forgiveness? It's not okay. That's why they're, you know what I mean? That's why they're coming to you to ask your forgiveness because from their perspective, what they did wasn't okay because you don't go around asking forgiveness for things that are okay. Right? It's okay, it's okay, I forgive you. That's a, that's a very mixed message. And someone's trying to just like comfort somebody who's maybe distressed or is like hardcore repenting. Um, but, ex, but you're not, ex, you're not telling them that what they did is okay. You're not in forgiving someone. I'm not saying that your sin wasn't a big deal or this or that necessarily. And maybe in the, maybe it wasn't a big deal. Maybe it was small potatoes, but forgiveness isn't excusing or, or downplaying, uh, somebody's sin. Okay. Do you have a question? You look like you're mulling over something. Mm. Yeah, 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 certainly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't want to be the vocabulary police. I'm just pointing out like a superficial, you know, my, my job in forgiving someone is not to make them feel like your sin wasn't a, you know, a big deal. I certainly, you might be saying we're okay, meaning like, hey, listen, this isn't like going to break our relationship or something. I just want you to know like we're good, we're good. Having said that, I forgive you because what you did was wrong. You might not say it like that, but that's that's kind of the background of what I'm saying. So what is forgiveness? Here's what I'm going to suggest. A decision modeled after God's forgiveness of us, it's a decision to cancel a relational debt and to not hold an offense against an offender. Forgiveness is canceling relational debt. That's how I want to understand it. And, and when you look at the parable of the talents, you even have a debt, like a financial debt comparison, right? Um, it is not a feeling, it is not forgetting, it is not excusing. It is an intentional decision modeled after God's forgiveness of us where I say to someone who has wronged me and who is therefore in relational debt to me, needs my forgiveness, I forgive you, I am canceling that debt. Remember uh, Ephesians 4.32, did I have it up here? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you, Okay. I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. And when we talk about, when we get into this, we'll say, well, what does it mean to hold something against somebody? If I don't forget it and I still feel hurt by it, am I still holding it against them? Have I truly forgiven if it still hurts? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Forgiveness, though, is a two-tier process, and you have to understand both tiers first. Oh, that's my, oh, that's our, that's our like proof text for the whole series here, right? Colossians 3.12, right? That's the one everyone needs to memorize. Okay, a two-tiered process, forgiveness. We see both of these in the scripture. The first is attitudinal forgiveness. Attitudinal forgiveness. What is this? It's a, it's a heart posture. It's a disposition of forgiveness towards the offender. A disposition of forgiveness. So, two, among a couple of examples, two very well-known examples. First would be Stephen in Acts chapter 7 demonstrates such a disposition. Uh, if you'll recall, he is getting stoned, not having the best day of his life there. I guess, of course, I guess in one sense, it was the last day, and he saw Jesus, so perhaps it was. But, and falling to his knees, verse 60, he cried out with a loud voice, that is, Stephen, as he's getting stoned, 
Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's saying, listen, he has this disposition of forgiveness. Now notice, no one throwing stones at him was like, I am so sorry, Stephen. Would you please forgive me? Okay, He had a disposition of forgiveness towards them, even though there was no forgiveness actually transacted between them. Okay, one example. Second example. Uh, I'm turning the wrong way in my Bible. I'm sorry about that. Uh, From Luke 23, perhaps more well-known than the Stephen passage. Luke 23, 34. Oh, I've got this down here, so if y'all are taking notes. Uh, in Luke 23, 34, we have the famous words of Jesus on the cross, starting in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, "Forgive, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, no one sitting there nailing Jesus to the cross or giving him the wine or any of that is asking Jesus for forgiveness. But he has a disposition of forgiveness towards them. Um, so let me close with this. Um, this, th- this does not require the offender asking for forgiveness. It is a heart disposition. And no matter what, you can work towards this. No matter what the other person does in life, you can work towards that disposition. This does not take the other person. You need to have this disposition before you go reconcile with someone, certainly. But sometimes in this life, that's not going to happen. Someone is going to wrong you, and they are never going to come ask for forgiveness. Ever. And so, how do you forgive if that person has no chance of ever even saying, I'm sorry? Maybe they just bail. Maybe they just think you're the one who did wrong. The answer is, how do you get to this place right here? How do you get to attitudinal forgiveness when transacted forgiveness is totally not going to happen? Okay? We'll talk a little bit more about that. Time is up. Let me pray for us. God, we, 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 we are just we're thankful that you give us help in these difficult things. It's so much easier to teach these things than do them. And so we pray that you would give feet uh, to what we have taught uh, today, what we've listened to, so the discussions, the questions. Lord, pray this would bear fruit in our relationships and in our church. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, thank you.